Is there a difference in which practice one chooses before reaching the platform of sattva-guna? It's like you have two people, one would be a bhakti-yogi, one would be just an average person, and, you know, both of them become going towards sattva-guna. So is there really any fundamental difference between those two persons practice before they do reach that platform of goodness? Whether they're one person chants Hare Krishna to get there, one person does something else to get there, or maybe you just have a great family. Yeah, there's a difference. One of the differences is that, to give an example, if you are a clerk in a 100-story building, next to a 10-story building. Say you're the doorkeeper in a 100-story building. Next to that is a 10-story building. The man may be the president in a 10-story building, live on the 10th story. So every day he can look out his window down at you, the doorkeeper, in a 100-story building. But because you're connected with the 100-story building and the enterprise contained therein and working for it, you have the potential to go up and reach the hundredth story yourself and be the president of the hundredth story building, at which time you would look down at the president of the tenth story building as if you were a doorkeeper only in comparison to the heights that you've risen to. So there may be different methods to achieve the sattva-guna. And sattva-guna is, of course, important. Sattva-guna begets knowledge and Sattva-guna begets happiness and only really in Sattva-guna can we do dhyan, meditation, effectively. And from Sattva-guna, having transcended the basic influences of Rajaguna, Tamaguna, ignorance and passion, we talked about these gunas the last time I was here at some length. By coming to Sattva-guna, then our path is much easier from then on. So it's important to come to Sattva-guna. But though there may be different means for attaining that, it is really very insignificant in comparison to the ideal and that which is attainable in bhakti. And therefore, if we take bhakti as our means to achieve the highest ideal, then whatever is beneath that will also attain in due course. And the difference then is that when we attain the sattva-guna, we won't simply hover there, but we can go so much further. And while we are in the process of attaining sattva-guna, that is not the only thing that's taking place. Whereas for the other person, then that may be all that's taking place. So, although it may not be visible immediately, when we engage in devotional practices, especially chanting the holy name of Krishna, which is so highly recommended throughout all the sacred literature, there's no one practice that is more glorified throughout the scripture than the chanting of the name of God and the name of Krishna in particular. And, of course, it's particularly recommended, for that matter, in times 
in which we live. And the person, Krishna himself, in the form of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, has come to give that Nam Dharma, Kali Yuga Nam Rupa Krishna Avatar. We may sometimes lament that if only I had taken birth at a time when Krishna had descended, that means avatar, avatara, from up coming down. The principle of the avatar is explained in Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter. We hear about Krishna Leela in the previous yuga. We may think, oh, if we were only fortunate enough to have taken birth at the time of Krishna's descent. But we fail in thinking like this to realize, to recognize that we have Kali Yuga Namrupa Krishna Avatar. In Kali Yuga, Krishna comes in the form of his name. And of course, the giver of the name of Krishna happens to be Krishna himself. Therefore, Namo Mahavadanaya Krishna Prema Pradaya Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gaurutishena Mahaprabhu. Goswami has identified Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this way. Who could give that Prem of Krishna? by which Krishna is completely purchased and conquered. Only Krishna himself. Therefore, he reasoned, Rupa Goswami, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu must be Krishna himself. So Krishna himself has come to give the name, his own name. So we shouldn't take this lightly. This is really uh, headlines, newsworthy. Srila Prabhupada Saraswati has made a comment that to the effect that having recognized himself the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent, he said, of what importance is it that Braha lifted the earth with his tusk, saved it from the influence of Hiranyaksha and so forth, and why, what, of what consequence is it what Narasimha did missing avatar and Ram avatar and this avatar and that avatar. These are, of course, all uh, important events in human history <laughs> that have been recorded in the Puranas. These events and the philosophical and theological significance of them are worth taking note of. We were having a discussion this morning as to the importance of presenting the spiritual teaching in a relevant way and how in order to do so we have to distinguish that which carries the teaching, that which the teaching is couched in and that which is the teaching. And so with regard to the Puranas, for example, where the description of these different avatars I just mentioned are are found, many other things are found, many social, cultural and other historical type of uh, knowledge is given, phenomenal knowledge, all of which is uh, somewhat relative. It's more or less the um, setting in which the jewel of spiritual teaching has been presented. So it could take another setting is the point. And we are in a very different setting, a very, very different setting than at the time when the Bhagwat was compiled or any of the sacred literatures that we hold so dear. And we have to somehow extract from those what is the essence and present that in a way that it will appear relevant to modern society. And in order to do so, of course, we will have to take into consideration things that are relevant today, things that have been found out today, relative though they may be and subject to being rethought 
They are what is thought to be today about cosmology, science, uh, to some extent, human relations, and so on and so forth. Because we cannot find it in our book, although it may be there, that's another thing. Because we cannot find it in our book, we should not dismiss it. Our business is not to drudge up the past to do away with a present that we can't really deal with because it doesn't fit into our old book that we have been told has everything in it. At least we can't figure out how to fit it in. So our business is not that. If the past is the thesis from the setting of the Puranas, for example, and the present is the antithesis, as sometimes we might like to think the modern world being so opposed as it is in many ways to the Vedic culture. The Vedic culture is the thesis and this is the antithesis and we want the synthesis to build uh, a bridge to the future that everyone can walk on and cross over the ocean of material existence and feel uh, through such a presentation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism an essential spiritual tradition that by being identified with that we are identifying with something that's vital and relevant for the times in which we live. And, of course, it is, but it requires understanding what that is, and, as I say, distinguishing and separating out to some extent what's relevant and what's not relevant. And Prabodhan and the Saraswati Thakur made a very interesting statement to an extreme with regard to the relevance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance when he said, who cares what Braha did and... And really, to be honest with you, as important as that is, and as much as that's not something to dismiss from the scripture, the Leela of Ram or the Singha or Vamana and so forth, because there's so much insight, teaching, essential teaching to be drawn from that, as much as that's true, and we shouldn't consider those Leelas to be merely uh, stories, have no factual basis. At the same time, in comparison to what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has done, come to do and done, people will not find the Raha Avatar's Leela as relevant. And so, I'm just making a side point, but Prabodhananda Saraswati Thakur said that who cares that Raha has lifted the world? Who cares what this Avatar has done and that Avatar, as wonderful as those things are? He said in comparison to the fact that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has appeared, all these events are obscured. They're like stars whose light uh, diminishes and, and fades in the face of the full moon. So we should try to understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Today is the appearance, I think, of Narottam Thakur. What did he say? Sri Chaitanya Mano Bhishtam Stapitam Nina Bhutale Sayam Rupagadamayam Dadati Sapadantikam. He made a prayer like this that um, Rupa Goswami understood the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu what his mission was about. It was a st- startling to Chaitanya Dev himself. You know, during the Ratiyatra, Mahaprabhu was singing a cinema song, a song from Kavya Prakash. It's a secular song, it means. Secular song from the secular Ras Shastra. And uh, some people wondered, what is he singing? Uh, like a cinema song, like a pop song. <laughs> so they wondered, but Rupa Goswami understood what he was singing. Once a godbrother of mine had been in Navadip, 
for some time at the holy mat of and uh, and he was visiting with me here in the West and we were doing kirtan. And he said, what is the value of your kirtan in the West? Sridhar Maharaj has said that even the cinema songs in Navadweep are superior to the kirtan outside. And I remember being in the mat myself and hearing those cinema songs. You, know, you can go to Vrindavan and hear them also people are playing and so forth. But I didn't really appreciate his advice that much. It's charming in one sense, and it's true, no doubt, what Siddhar Marsh had said. But I replied to the gentleman, yes, but what is the dham? That is another thing. It's one thing to be standing on the surface of it, and one thing to be living in the consciousness of the dham. One time I was there at Siddhar Marsh's moth, and a fellow came to get the dust of his feet, and he made a great effort to move through the group of devotees after Sridhar Maharaj had given a talk and to touch his feet, because, you know, it is said that to get the dust of the feet of the Vaishnav, that is very valuable. And Sridhar Maharaj laughed at him and he said, you think that's what it means to touch the feet of the Vaishnav, to get the dust of the feet? It is not a physical thing. Prabhupada used to say something similar. He said that um, a fly can land on the lap of a king, <laughs> a little insect, and be very closely associated, but they're lifetimes apart in terms of consciousness. So to associate, to be near one, that is uh, not just a physical thing. So to live in the Dham, many people may appear to live in the Dham, but a few people actually live in the Dham. Krishna lives in the Dham. It is mentioned in Padma Purana that Krishna returned to Mathura, and it is also mentioned, of course, in Srimad Bhagavatam, but in a very brief way in the first canto. The inhabitants of Dwarka, upon having the Lord's return to Dwarka, they lamented about how they feel when he's gone to distant places like Mathura. From this little short statement indication, the Goswamis have drawn much with the help of Padma Purana and other literatures to <coughs> illustrate an important theological point Krishna returned to Mathura and to Vrindavan. And how could he not when he promised everybody that he would, when Nanda Maharaj promised that he would bring him back as well, when they are the most dear, the inhabitants of Vrindavan to him, how could he have left and not returned? And how could we read the Bhagavatam and be satisfied with an understanding in which he appears not to? He comes to Dwarka, the Adu dynasty is uh, removed from the world and Krishna leaves. What about everyone in Vrindavan? We read the book and our mind does not go back to that place where Krishna is always dwelling. Gosamis, he couldn't read the Bhagavatam and, and be satisfied with that conclusion. He had to find out, demonstrate, Krishna must have returned. So they did, and with the help of the sacred literature, they supported their insights and so forth. Krishna went, he killed Dantabakra at Mathura, and then he came across the Jamuna to Vrindavan. He brought everyone, all the inhabitants, to Golok, just like he had showed them previously, after he had saved Nanda Maharaj from Varuna. Then they asked, oh, uh, at that time, you know, Nanda Maharaj witnessed the uh, glorification of Krishna on the part of Varuna. He said, oh, 
ஓம் நமோ பாகவதே தூபியம் பாகவதே பரமாத்மனே that as it is mentioned by Sutta Goswami earlier on it is confirmed in the Leela this is how Bhagavatam works of course you have some theory some philosophy and then the Leela will confirm that further what is it said by Sutta Goswami Vadanti tat tatvavidas tatvam yad jnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti shabdate but who says that's Krishna Varun said that the statement is that advaigyan tattva the nature of reality is that it's advaigyan tattva on non-dual knowledge learned people have concluded this and they have also described it as brahman paramatma and bhagwan it can be thought of in different ways reality has a life and there are different moments in that life we are told from the sutras anandamayo bhyasat the nature of reality ultimate reality is what ananda joy my nature is joyful it is joy so jiva goswami of course reasons from this point of view if the nature of reality is joy then it must be also conscious or cognizant and it must also exist we can have an existence that's not cognizant of itself that's possible we could have an existence that is cognizant of itself but not joyful but we cannot have a joyful existence that's not cognizant of itself and doesn't exist <laughs> so because the absolute is joyful by nature these aspects of itself features sat chit are also there along with ananda in bhagwan we have ananda is prominent it's not that sat and chit is not in bhagwan and only in paramatma one is in in other is in in brahman feature all three are in all features but to different degrees in bhagwan then ananda is f- so fully manifest especially in the fullest expression of bhagwan as krishna how much it is present there to the extent that his existence as a supreme being is almost forgotten practically he becomes unconscious of everything else and paramatma of course well brahman Brahman is in between the two in one sense. Bhagwan is movement on the one side and Paramatma is concerned with movement on the other side, the world order. Overseeing that in between is Brahman. In Brahman there's not much that resembles existence as we know it on either side of its manifestation in the leela or in the material world. Of course, but it is, but what we know to be existence is not much of a semblance of that there. And Ananda joy the joy of peace it's more of a relief so primarily from this way of analyzing we find what cognizance there and in paramatma then the soul of the world primarily concerned with existence the existence of material world comes into being as a result of the paramatma and he enters into every atom of it he's also conscious but of the existence of material world in every detail and his play his joy is also there to some extent is the srishti lila it is also fully involved with the existence so brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavani te shabdate brahman paramatma these are aspects of bhagwan and all those sat chidananda in all three 
each one represents one of those more than the other. So Bhagavatam says the nature of ultimate reality is such. Jiva Goswami has left it to us to think about in different ways. Either that these three are ontological realities or they are ways of in which the ultimate reality is perceived by different types of persons who are approaching in different ways. Or both. <laughs> Must be. Well, Bhagavatam has mentioned, described like this, the nature of reality, but who's to say that that Krishna is all three of these? Well, as I say, in the Leela Varuna said that, and when the inhabitants of Vrindavan heard that from Nanda Maharaj, he saved me, and Varuna said this, and then actually they turned to him and they asked him, you're very wonderful, and you can do wonderful things, so can you tell us what most common people want to know about their future. If you go into Delhi, then there's so many people there for the common people to read your palm and <laughs> for a few rupees tell you something about your your past to lead you to believe that they can tell you about your future accurately as well. And it's very attractive. How many times have you seen a signed palmist, you know, and you think, maybe I'll go in there and <laughs> see what they say. Maybe they know something about my future. The simple people of Vrindavan, they wanted to know what's our next life going to be like and what did Krishna show them? He showed them it would be just like Gokul. It is called Golok. <laughs> this is the Narlila of Krishna, earthly, manly, human-like Lila, and that is the Deva Lila, the godly Lila. Some slight differences are there. The Kadamba trees are bigger. Everything is a bit more majestic. But basically, the two are the same. Because they are basically about certain spiritual emotions, feelings. That's what makes them up. And those are manifest here when Krishna makes his appearance. The same feelings. So some details are different, but the feelings are the same. Therefore, it's the same. They're the same. So he showed them, you'll go there. They were happy. Oh, I'll be there. Our king, Nanda Maharaj, will be there. Yasodamayi, the cows, and everyone will be there. Just like here. They were very happy. So Krishna took them there. He came across the Jamuna. He took them back. And he went there, one. He went to Dwarka, two. In a Purna Prakash, he went to Vrindavan, Golok. In another Prakash, a little less perfect, he went to Dwarka. And he went to Kurukshetra and Bhagavad Gita and so forth. But at the same time, in a Purnatama Prakash, the most complete form of himself, he remained in Vrindavan, invisible, and stays there perpetually. So who lives in the Dham? <laughs> yes, they are acquainted with Krishna. He's living in the Dham, perpetually. The Navadip Dham, Gaur Lila, and Vrindavan Dham, Krishna Lila. So the fellow said, yeah, according to Sridhar Maharaj, yes, even the cinema songs in the Dham are better than your kirtan outside of the Dham. <laughs> And I said, yes, but you have to know what living in the Dham is and what a cinema song in the Dham is. Mahabhu sang a cinema song in the Dham, Jagannath Puri Dham, during the Ratayatra. That cinema song is far better than any kirtan that we can perform outside of the Dham, that we admit, that we acknowledge. Whatever a real resident of the Dham says, sings, does, that is worth taking note of. Whatever appears in the mind of such a person, you know, one of my godbrothers once asked Siddhar Maharaj that they think it would be all right if I wrote a book in which I made fictional characters 
in order to make a philosophical point, just like Bhaktivinoda Thakur has done in Jaiva Dharma. Chidamara said, those weren't fictional characters in Jaiva Dharma. Whatever appears in the mind of the Param Bhagwat, that's reality. That's more close to reality than anything that appears outside of their mind that seems more tangible and more real and more important to us. So, Mahaprabhu sang a cinema song in the Dham. Rupa Goswami understood what was the meaning of that song. And so he wrote his own verse. And what did he do with that? He tacked it on the wall. He wrote it like on a palm leaf and then he tacked it on the wall. And of course in those days they didn't have newspapers and uh, internet websites and whatnot to get the news out and about. But it was tantamount to doing that. He wanted to make the news of the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, which was fully manifesting in that cinema song that he was singing. That, that is a very important cinema song, or <laughs> actually, it's found twice in Gopal Champu, Jiva Goswami, his masterpiece, final work, and um, it affords us insight into the highest reach of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach. Rupa Goswami understood it, and he wanted to broadcast it to the whole world. A godbrother of mine was a sannyasi years ago, and I was just, uh, I don't know what I was, uh, Ramachari, I guess, or Vanaprastha, living in Los Angeles. He came, and he, was, he had been in India for years, and he came to America, and he, he knew so many verses, and it was very nice to associate with, and he, he quoted this verse that uh, I quoted earlier, he cited it to me, Namo Mahavadanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gautisei Namaha. And he asked me, what do you think of when you hear that verse? The verse says that I uh, offer my obeisances to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is Krishna himself, because he is giving what only Krishna can give, Krishna Prema. Therefore, he is most magnanimous, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Rupa Goswami wrote the verse. So he asked me, what do you think of when you hear that verse? And of course, I knew he had an answer that I wasn't going to give, otherwise he probably wouldn't have asked me. So I said, Maharaj, you tell me, what should I think of? He said, Rupa Goswami, it was so nice. It always stuck with me. The person who could have written such, who had such a vision, such an insight, what would we know of the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent, were it not for him? This is a Vaishnav way of thinking. Siddhartha once told me, he said, Vaishnavism, it is very indirect. Vaishnav Dasanudas. First there is Krishna, then there is the Vaishnav. Then there is the Das of the Vaishnav, then there is the Das of the Das of the Vaishnav, and then there is us. We will take the fifth position. It is very much the antithesis, of course, of material life. If you want to understand the spiritual life, you want to understand Krishna Bhakti, Braj Bhakti, then just go to the train station at uh, Howrah in Calcutta or someplace like that in India. Just go to the train station. And when the train stops and everybody pushes to get in first, then you just think, Krishna consciousness is just the opposite of that. <laughs> no, you first. No, you first. Just the opposite. The more we can be in a position of serving, then the higher our position is. The closer we come to the nature of that reality. We should never forget that all of the wonderful relationships we hear about that great souls have with Krishna in Krishna Lila, whichever one we may be, for whatever reason, attracted to right reason or wrong reason, 
they're all wonderful. One thing we should never forget about all of them is that the foundation of all of them is dasya, servitude. They're all forms of service. This point we have to understand, then to the extent that we do, we'll be able to think about one of those relationships in a way that will be helpful to us. We are possessed of a very different way of thinking, just like they say. Enjoy. That is true, we should. In one sense, we are meant to be happy. As the absolute nature is joy, anandamaya bhyasat, as I mentioned earlier. So we are of the stamp of the Supreme also, a unit. Very similar, very dissimilar to matter, which is not joyful. None of which is manifestations endure, which is not conscious. We are conscious. We lend our consciousness to matter and give meaning to it, thereby perceiver and the perceived. So we are perceiving unit, feeling unit. We are very dissimilar from matter, very similar to God, his independent will, free will itself. And we are, a, like I say, a stamp of the, when they say like the, the stamp of his father or something like that <laughs> is on him. So we also have some freedom. But if we come under the determinism of the modes of nature, then that freedom is lost, practically. The material nature determines our existence, life after life after life in a cycle of karma. We think we are doing our own thing, but we are simply a puppet in the hands of material nature. And if we can have good company, good association, we can change our course. Our will is, is so minute, but it's there. It's very minute. How minute is it? If we will, in such a way as to come under the influence of material nature, then our whole existence is determined. He thinks that he's doing, but in actuality, it's all being carried out by the modes of nature. And if he can will, by having the fortune of good company, to go in another direction, towards bhakti, mukti and bhakti, what does that mean? If he can will that my will will be thy will. That's how small our will is, you see. If we come into Krishna Leela, what takes place there? Krishna expresses his own joy through us. That is what it's all about. I mean, we say we are all individuals. We emphasize this point. And it's charming to us to think about, yes, yes, that's right, I'm an individual. <laughs> that's true. But we should understand that properly. In Krishna Leela, our will becomes his will. As he wants to dance and celebrate his existence, and we become part of, willing to participate in that, he does so through us, and then there is the appearance of a relationship between us and him, but <laughs> our philosophy is as much bade as it is abhed, as much one as, as different. Become one with Krishna's will, and that one will will be expressed in varied ways through those who are willing to be a part of that. That is our ideal, to become one with Krishna's will. There's really one person. Reality is a person. We think it's us, but it's not. <laughs> it's Krishna, Bhagwan, and his shaktis. So, Rupa Goswami, he's one of those persons, and in a big way, one of those persons who have come to make it possible for us to move in that direction. And in a big way, because he has told us things about the Absolute, about Godhead, that are so extraordinary that... God would blush to hear them. Oh, you know that about me. Shh. He would come over here and put his hand over our mouth. Come. That's not for everyone to hear. You know about that. 
He will have to grab us. This is the kind of thing that Rupa Goswami has spoken of. In this way, he's made it very easy for us to go to that hundredth floor from the doorkeeper to there. What to speak of passing through Satvaguna that will come naturally and mukti. Naturally, you will see I am liberated. And it is nothing. One of the characteristics of bhakti is that sudulab. Bhava bhakti is not dulab, but sudulab. Very, very rare. Extremely rare. And in the context of the culture of bhakti, we will understand just how rare that is. That mukti is nothing in comparison to that. Insignificant. And the kind of bhakti Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving makes other kind of bhakti, it means mukti, Salokya, Sarsta, Samipya, Sarupya, all this type of liberation relevant to Vaikuntha, primarily, insignificant. The culture of that is an impediment to what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given. So we should culture the right thing from the start, that we can go the full distance and know that everything in between will be attained as well and easily by that, more so than by any other process. What we want to attain, even an intermediate state or some step along the path, will be more easily attained by the method given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than that step can be attained by any other independent means. And having attained that step, then we'll be that much closer to the ideal that ultimately Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give that Rupa Goswami announced to the world. As I say, the kind of things that would... I say it made Krishna blush. Made Mahaprabhu grab Rupa Goswami when he saw that palm leaf on the wall. He took it down and gave him a slap. And he insisted, he wanted to know, how did you know this? His Sanskrit verse revealed what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was thinking when he sang that song from the secular poetry, Kavya Prakash. What was the significance of that? It is the parakya bhav of Brajabhakti. Mahaprabhu was in the mood of Radha. In Gopal Champu, Jiva Goswami has Radharani singing this song on the marriage day. You see, <laughs> some people say, oh, Jiva Goswami taught Swakya Bhav. Rupa Goswami taught Parakya Bhav. So they are opposed to one another. And the main book of Jiva Goswami, in one sense, is this Gopal Champu. Very wonderful book. And it takes place in Golok after everyone's gone back. After everyone has returned in the Leela back to Golok, then their life in the Prakat Lila, in the Manifest Lila in Gokul, is narrated by two bards, two mystic uh, minstrels, Snigdakanta and Madhukanta, who are relatives of Nanda Maharaj, and their reputation was widespread for not only being wonderful minstrels, but being omniscient, knowing the past, present, and future. Very rare. So Nanda Maharaj upon their coming into the village, thought that there should be a recital. Naturally, so everyone gathered, and Stingdakanta and Madhukanta were asked to recite. And what shall we recite? Nanda Baba said, well, it's been told that you have extraordinary powers above and beyond your ability to compose events, histories, into song, which was the custom by which they would be remembered. These were the history books, songs. And they admitted, yes, it's true, we have such powers. So Nandamar said, well then, sing about our lives and we'll see. And so they did. Who were they? But they could know all these things. When they got to the Damodar Leela, then it became revealed how they knew everything about Krishna Leela. They were standing in the courtyard. 
as two Arjun trees. So a very nice book describing Krishna Lila and in that uppercut Lila in Golok, Dev Lila, then Radha and Krishna are married, Jiva Goswami describes. And on the wedding night, what does Radharani say? She sings this song from Kavi Prakash that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu sang. Says, oh, I long for those nights. The implication is along the banks of the Jamuna where we were. When we were in youth, performing those activities, that parakya. Wedding means sakya. She's being wedded to Krishna. What she wants all along, in one sense. But on the night of the wedding, she's telling us, actually the parakya is better. That is a better thing. Sweeter. More intense. This is the highest ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavas in the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach Rupa Goswami knew this. He wrote it in a verse, Mahaprabhu saw it and said, how could you know? I want to know. Who told you this? How is it possible you could know my heart? And it was deduced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, I believe. It must be by the mercy of Sarup Damodar, because he knows. I know that he knows. But there's a difference then between Rupa Damodar and Rupa Goswami. <laughs> Rupa Goswami wanted to tell it to everybody. <laughs> of course, we can think Rupa Damodar gave that seva to him. And we are indebted to both. But rightfully, I think that Sanyasi told me, when you hear this verse, Namo Mahabharanaya, what do you think? You should think of Rupa Goswami who made it possible for the whole world to know the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. So who is in that line of Rupa Goswami? He or she should be concerned. If, to the extent that we are, we'll be possessed of the necessity of making it known to the world the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent. And we cannot tell everything to everybody, that's true. But the closer people will come, the more we can talk about that. But in the, at least in the general sense, it should be known. But what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to give as a means to an ends, the ends is higher, a further reach into transcendence than anything that has been talked about or written about. There's some objectivity to this statement. If we take the yardstick of objectivity and we look at the different sadhya, the goals that are being spoken about by different spiritual teachers and so forth, there's reason, a good reason to um, believe that what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has spoken about is the farthest reach of transcendence. And the means that he's given to attain that is the most easy. We do not appreciate how easy it is, but that's because we are not familiar with other paths <laughs> and how difficult they really are. If you study the scripture, you'll find there are other paths and they're very difficult. Even the path of Varnashram, is Sanatana Goswami says, thank God for the day when I get freed from this burden of Varnashram, the Dharma Shastra, all the do's and don'ts, what you have to do, and, and I'm free just to love with my heart and move on the basis of my heart. Heart's love for Krishna, that kind of freedom. <laughs> oh, the other paths are very difficult. Just to follow Varnashram is practically an impossible idea. Ramananda Roy offered this idea first to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You want to know about sadhya? Mahaprabhu asked, what is the sadhya? He said, follow Varnashram and you will get bhakti. 
and this is the best thing. Mahaprabhu said, oh, say something more than that. Following Barnashram, that is like being a good citizen. You can please the president by being a good citizen. If you're the best citizen, maybe you get some letter from the president, but what do you know about his life? How much does he know about you? Think about you. Oh, and it would be difficult to be such a good citizen, actually get the attention of the president. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami said, Jarasand, he followed the Varnashram Dharma, and he wanted to kill Krishna. <laughs> what is the value of this? Its value, Shramayavi Kevalam, is not much unless Vasudeva Kataruchi. Somehow, if you get a taste for Krishna, oh, then you did it right. So many things were offered by Ramananda Rai to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and now so many things he rejected. Parnashram, do your own work, offer the fruit to Krishna, better but not enough. Okay, then give up Parnashram Dharma, Sarva Dharma, Parityaja. Not good enough. Brahma Bhutta Prasanatmana Sochitina Kanchitamasameshu Bhuteshu Mad Bhaktim Labate Param. Mix Bhakti with Gyan. Better but nah, not enough. Gyani Prayashura Pashalamanteva. My Buddha said, Now you're talking. I've got my attention. Follow on this. What is it? Stop thinking. Exercise the heart. From any position. Stani Sita Shutikatam Tanu Van Mano Bir. Stay in whatever position. Grihe tako vane tako. Sada hari vole dako. We like the first part, but we forget the second part. Grihe tako vane tako. You can be a householder, you can be a sannyasi, it doesn't matter. But you have to remember the second part. Sada hari vole dako. That's what makes it not matter. Sada hari vole dako. If you are always chanting harinam, then it doesn't matter. That is the power of harinam. It doesn't matter. Whatever position you're in, that is not true for Gyan, Marg. You have to be in a particular position to even practice pure heart. To sit and do meditation. But for Bhakti, for chanting Harinam, any position. Very generous Harinam Prabhu is, so we should not neglect him. In such a way he's come to us in such a form. Kali Yuga Nam Rupa Krishna Avutar. We are in the age in which Krishna has manifest in his most kind form. Nam and Namni. The name and the named. Abhinatvam Namanamino. There is no difference between the name and the named. Between Krishna Nam and Krishna. No difference. There is no difference, but there is one difference. That's, of course, our teaching. Something like that. There's no difference, but there's a difference. What is the difference between the name and the named? The name is more merciful than the named. You can offend the named, and still the name will come to you. Krishna Sankirtanam, in an aggressive way. And that, of course, is good for us. Prabhupada once said, I came to your country as an aggressor. And I thought, thank God <laughs> for that kind of aggression. Hmm? Thank God for that. Shiramar told the story. Two constables, policemen, were talking side by side. And one said, it's a good thing that Krishna is a thief. Other fellow said, what are you talking? This is the whole problem with our country. Our God is Krishna, he's a thief. And we're policemen. And every India is about as corrupt as you can get. <laughs> to do anything, you have to pay a bribe. At every turn, practically. He said, this is the whole problem. Our God's a thief. 
other fellow said, no, you don't understand. Thief does not care for high walls or locked doors. We have made high walls around our heart and locked the door. We protect our heart. We protect it with our mental system, our reasoning, and so forth. Like when you hear someone talk, then you're going to hear it and make, does it make sense? And uh, do I agree with that? Okay, I let it go inside. But Harinam Prabhu is very slippery and very aggressive and in any tricky way he enters the ear. <laughs> From the mouth of a Vaishnav, in the heart of a Vaishnav, he, he rises up, comes on the tongue, and enters our ear, even while we're thinking about something else. It goes into our heart. It starts to activate there. Stealthily he goes in. We didn't even know it. We heard, what were they saying? Harry Krishna? And then we didn't even know it. It had already gone in our heart and come out on our tongue. <laughs> already we are chanting. Hmm? Das went to a Muslim magistrate was complaining about the chanting. He said, why is this chanting Hare Krishna? What did he say? You are also chanting. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> you are also chanting. Continue. Hmm? Hmm? So Krishna Nam does not care for all the high walls, locked doors. He goes in and steals away our heart. The commodity that he's offering is more valuable than anything in the marketplace of our heart. So many desires have set up their shop in our heart to get our attention. What Krishna has come to give is more valuable than any of them. No comparison. And, if that's not enough, it's free. <laughs> so easy. Chant Hare Krishna. Of course, this is the trickiness of Krishna, you see. Because it's not that easy in one sense. It's easy. Yes, but not so easy. And that's what you're finding. <laughs> not so easy. Why is it not easy? Because you don't listen to this. Take to heart, think about it, reason about it. My goodness, such a valuable thing. Some unwillingness is there on our part. That's all. If we reason about it from every angle, we'll find there is no good reason. We want a good reason. It's, there's no good reason for not chanting Hare Krishna. It's poor reasoning to conclude this. You may think, I'm chanting, but it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. Keep chanting. You are getting somewhere. And if it seems like you're not getting anywhere and you want to feel like you're getting somewhere, then do it more attentively. And if you can't do it more attentively, then still do it more attentively, because you can do it more attentively. Find a way. In Harinam Chintamani, I believe, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has said, blindfold yourself, lock the door, and chant. Right. <laughs> this, you see, it is very effective. There is nothing more effective than chanting the Holy Name. You have to be convinced. We don't need all this talk. My talk is not needed. Or any, there's so many books, it's not needed. A fellow once told me, I was giving a rather philosophical talk, and he said, Maharaj, whatever happened to just chant Hare Krishna? Got to learn all this stuff. and yeah, It's just like very difficult. And I said, yes, why don't you just chant Hare Krishna? Why don't you just do that? Just chant Hare Krishna. But you don't. <laughs> If you did, then you don't have to come to my talk. Because you don't, you have to come to the talk and understand why you can just chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Hmm? So Prabhupada said, chant and be happy. And we say, chant and be unhappy. Chant and be unhappy. 
be unhappy that my chanting is not making me happy. This, the problem is not with Krishna Nam. The problem is with me. I'm unhappy that I'm not crying when I chant Hare Krishna. If you can cry on that level, then then maybe some spiritual tears will come. I'm not happy that I cannot. I'm crying. I cannot cry when I chant Hare Krishna. I'm crying about that. Gradually, gradually, then that chanting will take effect. There's no more important practice than we can engage in than chanting the holy name. We should serve Vaishnavas. We should have a serving attitude behind the chanting. Atashi Krishna Namani Nabhavet Grayamindre Sevan Mukhi Jivados If you want to have the Sputti experience of Krishna, chanting is the best way. But there has to be some right attitude behind that. So we should serve Vaishnavas, hear from them, and take, we may do many things, but sometime, every day should be set aside for chanting. And that time should be reserved only for that. See, the mind will gradually be trained then. And it will be oh so painful, oh so painful to sit there and not allow the mind to attend to all of those thoughts that pass through that are so important. If you just sit though and you think for five minutes, let all the thoughts pass through your head for five minutes. Just let them just sit. Let them come. Each one that come, you can analyze. If I followed that, if I did that, what would be the results? How far would it take me in terms of where I really want to go? And if I need nowhere, I want to be happy in every respect, fully, every atom of my being, joyful. None of them will get me even close to that. This is objective. To be objective and honest about it. Now, if the thought comes to chant Hare Krishna, follow that. In my own life, as a very young man, I did this exercise before I had met Prabhupada. And every thought that came through my mind, I followed it as far as it could go. And it was just so disappointing in terms of what I sensed must be available in life. And when I heard the Hare Krishna mantra, without knowing the meaning... It was on the back of a package of incense. I knew it said, your life will be sublime. I thought, that makes sense. That's what I want. I followed that one thought, chant Hare Krishna. I can only recommend you do the same. Find some time every day for that. And it may be painful, but why is it painful then? You should think why. What Rupa Goswami said, we are afflicted by ignorance, abhidya, and Harinam is the remedial measure, the medicine, aushadi. He's given an example, just like jaundice, cure for jaundice is sugarcane. Sugarcane is sweet, but if you have jaundice, it tastes very bitter. But if you keep taking the sugarcane, the jaundice will be cured, and the sweetness that was always there in the cane will be realizable. You will taste that. So nothing more sweet than Krishna Nam. In Krishna Nam, in everything about our theology is present in Krishna Nam. Krishna Nam, in Krishna Nam is the rupa of Krishna, the form of Krishna, the guna of Krishna, the lila of Krishna. If you can do namsmarnam, japa, if you can't do this, if you can't do namsmarnam, that means japa, then do kirtan. You can close the door or you can open the door and stand up or sit down with the cartels and chant Hare Krishna. Do it for one half hour, one hour by yourself. When I was much younger in the mission of Prabhupada, I used to go out on, on a bus from the Los Angeles Temple to Hollywood Boulevard 
with cartels, a pair of cartels and some books. And I would stand on the street in Hollywood Boulevard and I would chant Hare Krishna for half an hour and then I would sell books for two hours and then I would chant and that was my practice. Very powerful in the public. After a while, the bus driver, I took the same bus every day, he said, now you go off, he tell people, you get a book from that guy. Buy a book, one of his books. What did make him do that? I don't know, but <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> He's happy. <laughs> So chant and be happy. If you can't do japa, granted, japa, you see, it requires a little bit more, you get to be a little more sattvic to take advantage of, to sit and do japa, pay attention. And to the extent that you don't pay attention, you don't get much benefit. But in kirtan, even you don't pay attention, there will be benefit. And it's much harder not to pay attention in kirtan. So if you can't do japa, then you do kirtan. Sit in your room, and get your cartels. If you don't have cartels, you don't need cartels. Nam namakari bahudar nidisaiva shakti tatrapita niyamita smarane nakala. There's no rules for this. All the rules are thrown out. Chant Hare Krishna in Kirtan. Kirtan is the furthest reach of the mercy of Nam Prabhu's manifestation. You do that. One you 16 rounds take two hours. So if you can't do that, just chant one hour with Kirtan. And not with your drum that you like to play. <laughs> so that you'll be distracted. Once some of my godbrothers went to sit in a holy place in Vrindavan on Ikadasi evening, Abhikadasi, with uh, Akinchen Krishna's Babaji Maharaj, disciple of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who was famous for Kirtan. And it was said that he was going to be at maybe Imlital, I think, and spending the night there for Ikadasi, staying up all night and chanting. So they came... These were devotees, godbrothers of mine, who were very well known for their kirtan, musical ability and so forth. It was natural to them. So they came with the murdangas and the cartel and tape recorder to record Babaji Maharaj. And so they're sitting for a while, and Maharaj chanting japa. And so they're chanting along with him. And they said, Maharaj, we came to observe the kadasi with you. Heard you're going to chant all night. So we came also to spend that with you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Very nice. And so, uh, after a while, they said, Maharaj, and they had the tape recorder, and Kirtan? He said, no, 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 no disturbance tonight. <laughs> you see, for them, they were more interested in the music, musical aspect, than they were in, in Nam Prabhu himself. And Babaji Maharaj could detect that, so he counseled them very nicely. And, of course, they all kind of faded out and <laughs> went home. They didn't stay up all night chanting japa with him. And japa, a little harder to do, but kirtan. But because you are so interested in the madanga, which is good and valuable, and you're, you've learned it nicely, and that's important, you have to be a little careful also that when you do kirtan with madanga that you're not playing the madanga, but the is playing you, and you are assisting in some way, you are a servant, not a musician. It's not your show. And I'm not saying that you play like that. You don't. You play very nicely and sincerely. But but it will be it will be good just to sit with no music and just chant Hare Krishna out loud. You can also do with music and all. But point is that if you can't do japa, do kirtan, spend time with it, and you will find it will be very fruitful over time. And then you can do japa also. And really, we should chant according to our taste. We may be given some prescribed number of rounds, and then if we commit to that, 
then we should observe that, of course. But otherwise, according to our taste or the measure of our faith, we should chant. And our faith will increase by good company. So I hope that something I said tonight will increase your faith in chanting. Hare Krishna, don't replace it with any other method and things that I, by that method, I will go to Satvaguna and then I will chant Hare Krishna. One fellow told Sridhar Maharaj once, actually, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given, that is the highest thing. I agree with it. The Prem, Radha Dasyam, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching, Radha Bhav, that is the highest thing. But, he said, it is very high. And to attain that, first we have to follow what the Buddha has said. When we fully assimilated the Buddha teaching, from Prakriti Nirvan to Brahman Nirvan, Shankar, then we'll follow the Bhadi Bhakti, Ramnuja. Because these are all lower stage, from Biraj of the Buddhists to Brahman of Shankar to Vaikuntha of Ramanuja to Golok of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He presented it in a very logical and interesting way. And Sridhar said, that is very, uh, that makes a lot of sense. It's very interesting, very logical in many respects. And the man was very happy to hear that. And then Sridhar said, but it is not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said. And he has the one has come and told us about that Golok and Braj Bhakti. So better we follow his method. Is this chant from beginning in sadhana, beginning to end, sadhya. This chanting is also in, in Golok. They're also singing in Ram Krishna, Ram Krishna. Krishna's friends are always singing Ram Krishna, Ram Krishna. Gopi sang in Gopi Gita. They did Sankirtan after Krishna disappeared from Rasalila to bring him back. So, in sadhana and in sadhya. So no other sadhana is more powerful than chanting Hare Krishna. Don't replace it with anything else. Other things you can do. If you want to come to Sattva Guna, there may be so many things you can do. You can consider your diet, your habits, your association, so many things. What kind of clothes to wear. All, you can consider all those things that have some value. But don't think that that will replace chanting Hare Krishna in your life. So make some vrat, some determination for that. And let it be anchored, that determination to chant, by connection with the real sadhu. That is important. You see, our only healthy concern in life should be that what I'm doing is of some value to somebody, of some consequence. I mean, a spiritual person. The spiritual person thinks thinks about me and what I'm doing. That what I'm, And you see, these Vaishnavas, they're very, very broad-minded, very kind, and very generous. How can they not be? They are bathing in the generosity of their own superiors. And Krishna, they are a very ocean of compassion. So that means, what I mean by that is that they can find a way to connect what you are doing in your life somehow to that which is important, valuable, that will have eternal consequence. You know the story of Prabhupada in, in New York, 26 Second Avenue, when he was giving a talk and some fellow from the Bowery came in, a drunken fellow and half-crazy fellow came in, 
walked up and Prabhupada was sitting on the dais and he just walked up and all the devotees just didn't know what to do and he came and he took a roll of toilet paper, I think it was, and just put it down and made a noise and walked out. And and, uh, and so the devotees, they felt embarrassed that we should have thrown him out or something. Prabhupada said, no, his devotional life has begun. He made some offering and, and Prabhupada didn't use, you know, toilet paper. <laughs> he, <laughs> but I guess he did, you know, and that fellow got real benefit from that. They find a way somehow or other to connect us. Some of you come before our Gurudev and say, Gurudev, I would like to go so and so to such and such place and do such and such. Then you have to think, do I know anybody there? Is there anything that I could use there that could be of use in Krishna's service there? And he'll think as far as he can and try to find, yes, you go there, do that. And when you're there, do this also. The whole thing has meaning then. Of course, we shouldn't come and ask our Gurudev can I do this without being prepared for him to say no? Otherwise, it's not bhakti to begin with. You follow? He's not there just to sanction whatever we want, just to ratify whatever we want, but to change our life for the better. But by and large, as I say, the Vaishnavas are very kind and compassionate, so they find a way to connect our lives, as ordinary as they may be, to that eternal flow of Krishna consciousness in the world and make it meaningful. So try to anchor your determination to practice and so forth to the uh, ship of the Vaishnava. And then you'll be able to cross over the difficult waves of the mind that come that give you thousands of reasons not to practice. And I don't mean to say that because you have that, you have some fear over you that you said you do this. Now you must, but no. As I've said before, our connection with the sadhu is something that we must make. What is that slok from the Bhagavatam? Tadvigyanatam sagurum evabhigat One must take shelter of a guru. But what does it mean? It is not a law. It is the law of love that I feel I must. This is the best thing for me. I feel in my heart, I must do this. You understand? Not that you don't feel it, but you must do it. But I'm compelled. So try to seek sincerely that out and anchor your practices there, and then you'll be have much more uh, support for them and fortitude to deal with the, the waves of the mind. I remember once Prabhupada said, in, in a simple way, many, many years ago, he said, that, uh, oh, uh, whatever obstacle comes in your path, whatever big boulder or stone, I can immediately kick it away. I always live my life on on the basis of that. Any obstacle, I just take shelter of Prabhupada and it can be removed. And I'm, I, I haven't been let down <laughs> so far. So please chant Hare Krishna sincerely and serve the Vaishnavas. That's my recommendation to you. And Sattva will come and, and you'll pass into the Nirguna in no time. So, anything else? I'll give a brief answer. Ramdas Prabhu? You were speaking about chanting, and I was thinking that Srila Sridharmarish would, when asked, someone time commented about the, the mood of one's chanting. I think the question came about in that some devotees were feeling that they were executing their 16 rounds kind of like as an austerity. Mechanically. to the mood of dedication. So I was just going to ask if you could elaborate on, on what he said about that. 
Well, he's, yes, uh, he did speak about that at some length. Once he said, um, like a blank gun, it makes a noise, but there's no bullet. So that chanting that doesn't have the right spirit behind it, service attitude, that is like a blank gun. It'll make some noise. But we should know even a blank gun can scare somebody away. <laughs> it can have some value. But ultimately, it needs to be uh, loaded. So <laughs> the loading of the, of, of the gun, of the chanting of Hare Krishna, which will slay the enemy of Maya and open the, the doors to the uh, life of Krishna Lila, that uh, is the service attitude. So that should be the background of the chanting. We should chant to please Krishna, not because my guru told me to chant. That's also there, yes. But why he told you to chant? To please Krishna. So for the pleasure of Radha and Krishna, I should chant Hare Krishna. We should think like that. <coughs> I remember myself that I was standing... I used to, in Los Angeles, I had my place next to Prabhupada when he would give his lectures that uh, where I would stand. I always managed to to get that spot. I'll be honest with you, I used to stand because I wanted to be sure not to fall asleep. And in those days, I wasn't sleeping very much and I was working very hard. And the last thing I would want to do would fall asleep when Prabhupada was talking. I was sleeping maybe about four or five hours a day and we were going out all day and in the streets and so forth. It was quite an energetic service we had. So when Prabhupada was there and in those day, early days uh, when I was in Los Angeles, he came for a couple of years, three months at a time, twice in a year. And so anyway, I used to stand right next to Prabhupada on his right and listen to him talk and I would be right next to his ear. And um, I remember one morning I thought, let me chant. After Prabhupada would... Um, give his talk, then there would be a little short kirtan. And, of course, before Prabhupada talked, he would chant Jai Radha Madhava, and we would sing. So I was thinking, let me chant just... I don't really understand this chanting, its significance, but he does, and it really makes him happy. This is what this whole life is about. And he has meant more to me in my life than any other thing or any other person. So... I'll chant Hare Krishna just to please him. That's what I should do, just for his pleasure. So there I was, just singing into his right ear. <laughs> it was very, very close, just singing. And uh, then he turned up and looked at me with you know, his eyes, you know how they would get big sometimes. He looked at me like that, and he went, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was during the Jai Radha Madhava song, I think, before the class. And so then... Um, you were chanting Japa, or were you singing Japa? No, I was chanting Jai Radha Madhava in the response. So then, um, then after the talk, then the kirtan would begin, and Prabhupada would not lead that kirtan, but one of the devotees would lead. And so there were several sannyasis there, and kirtaniers and so forth, who were all like, they happened to want to lead the kirtan. There was a little bit of a struggle between them, who would get the microphone and lead. So as they, this all taking place in a matter of seconds, and as they were deciding who would chant, and they came to a conclusion, just as he started, Prabhupada said no, and he turned to me and said, you sing. So then, <laughs> then he did that three mornings in a row. He said, then let him sing, let him sing. So, see, this uh, is the right spirit <laughs> I learned. You chant for the pleasure of the, uh, 
of Krishna or the spiritual master. Because, yes, they told you to, but why they told you to, we should think about. And chant with that kind of attitude. So the, the quality of the chanting, of course, that's all important. Sridhar said that when Surup Damodar Gosami found Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in a fisherman's net, Mahaprabhu had disappeared from the midst of the devotees in Antilila and had fallen into the ocean at night thinking it was the Jamuna in a trance of love of God. And a fisherman caught him in a net and he got electrified himself by the bhav of Mahaprabhu just by the association. And it was very disconcerting and he didn't know if he was up or down or what. He thought he had caught a ghost. The ghost of Mahaprabhu's bhav had entered into him in a shadow-like way. So... The devotees headed by Surup Damodar were searching everywhere for Mahaprabhu who had disappeared from the Gambira, and there they found the fisherman. Now, Surup Damodar Goswami, seeing the fisherman, could understand he's been in touch with Mahaprabhu. No one can look like that and express those kind of symptoms. So he said, where is he? He said, I caught a fish. I caught a ghost in my net. And where's that ghost? I'm an exorcist, he said. And I can, you know, like, take the ghost out of you and, and so forth. So if you find, so he showed him the Mahaprabhu there in a, in a very uh, contorted and bodily distorted uh, condition through the ecstasy of Mahabhav, and he began a kirtan to bring Mahaprabhu back to external consciousness. And this is the kirtan of Surup Damodar Goswami. Imagine what that was like. And Mahaprabhu awoke from the kirtan and he said, "Oh, someone made a noise." And I was with Krishna and Radha at Radha Kund or the Jamuna, and I was experiencing this in the Leela, and someone made a noise and brought me back. And Sridhar commented, he considered the kirtan of Surabhadamana to be noise. What, <laughs> what must be his, uh, was his experience? <laughs> so, our kirtan, what is that? But still, we should try. <laughs> and the point is, that in the answer to Ramdas Baba's question is that the quality, of course, is is more important than quantity, in a sense. But then again, quality will be improved also by quantity. If we keep chanting and chanting, it said, how will we re- remove the offenses from our chanting? Chanting, incessant chanting. So, anything else? Okay, chant Hare Krishna.